0: We have an opportunity to open the Word of God, and I want to encourage you to turn in your Bibles to uh, 1 Peter chapter 4. We're looking at 10 and 11. In a couple of weeks, uh, we're going to begin a journey through the minor prophets, but before we do that, I I thought it would be good for us to consider uh, the visible marks of discipleship. That's what we've been doing the last several weeks. Static in my mic. Okay, I've got a note. What do I need to do? Move it. All right. We good there? Sorry about that. All right. I think we're adjusted. All right. The question that we've been, we've been seeking to answer in this series is, what does it look like for someone to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ? Our mission is leading people to become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. What does that look like in someone's life? What's, what's visible About them. What's what should become obvious? In the last three weeks, we considered identifying with Christ and his church as a first mark, and that's expressed through baptism and church membership. So those who you saw up front this morning, they have identified with Jesus' church. And that's an important mark for growing disciples of Jesus. Uh, Secondly, it's what you're all doing here: it's gathering with the church for worship and fellowship. and, And that's an essential a habit, discipline for for those who are fully devoted followers of Christ. Last week we considered what it means to become like Christ in character, to imitate Him, to walk in love the same way that Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So to become like Christ. And today we're looking at what it means to be a fully voted follower of Jesus Christ. Is to be a person who serves in the church and represents Christ in the world. Now I'm going to deal with this last mark in two messages. and So we'll deal with uh, serving in the church this morning. Now we already sang what is our text. We sang it word for word. But listen again and follow along in your Bibles. And we'll Look at the text of Scripture. 1 Peter 4, verse 10 and 11. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified, Through Jesus Christ, to Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. This is the Word of God. I invite you to pray with me as we ask for the Lord's help. Father, we're praying that through the preaching of Your Word, we're asking that You would teach us the things that we do not yet know, that that through the Word that You would give to us what You desire and that You would make in us what You want us to be, we pray, sanctify us by Your truth, Your word is truth. And we would pray as well that Christ be exalted among us so that he draws people to himself. Amen. That mark of discipleship that we looked at last week, become. Become like Christ in character. We learned that that is anchored on the example of Christ's sacrificial love. Character is the internal disposition to walk in love. What's the opposite, as it was dealt with in that text, the opposite of sexual immorality, greed, coveting, and idolatry? That internal disposition, that character, if truly present, will ultimately be worked out in serving others. Character works its way out in serving others. And, and just in, in regards to the, the four marks of discipleship, where gathering, that second mark, is the manifestation of our identification with Christ in His church. Serving one another is the outward manifestation of being Christ-like. These marks are all connected. Gathering is the manifestation of identifying with Christ in His church. Serving, likewise, is the outward manifestation of being Christ-like. Because the example, Jesus served. So from our text, we should serve one another. And the first thing I want to highlight here, I'm not giving you my points in advance because there's one main point and some three and, and sub points. So it, it will be obvious as we go. But the first thing I want to focus on is serve one another. And, and, and here's the application. Grace should not be hoarded. Grace should not be hoarded. Now, maybe you've seen or heard about the kind of mental illness that manifests itself in extreme hoarding, and that illness left unchecked, sometimes, sometimes those who suffer, they may invite other consequences in their lives, like like fire or or tripping hazards in their own homes, extremely unsanitary conditions, or, or literally just being trapped inside their own homes. No good comes from hoarding anything, even good things. Now, I'm sure we're all familiar with that overused joke about the Christmas fruit cake that it's that gift that keeps on giving, and, and not because everybody enjoys it, but they keep passing it along because nobody actually wants to eat it, right? It gets re-gifted. But, but some gifts truly are the kinds of gifts that keep on giving, and the gifts that God gives are exactly like that. They keep on giving because by design, they not only bless the receiver of the gifts, but that blessing is meant to be multiplied over and over to others. Grace should not, grace cannot be hoarded, kept to oneself. Peter, in our text, Peter writes, as each has received a gift, and he calls it God's Varied grace. Well, why do we have gifts? Well, Peter here is assuming something that is taught elsewhere in the New Testament. Of course, it begins with the fact, and we've sung about this a little bit this morning, it begins with the fact that you've been redeemed. You were rescued from the grip and eternal consequence of your sin, trusting that Jesus took your sins to the cross. You are now counted righteous in God's sight. And along with that forgiveness and along with that acceptance before God, you were given a new spiritual life, a new life that is entirely owing to the Holy Spirit who now indwells in you. If you're a child of God, the Holy Spirit dwells in you. The Apostle Paul exhorting the Corinthians to turn away from their former sins, he tells them why they should and really why you and I should turn away from our sins and seek to live righteously. It says this in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? And here's the key. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Glorify God in your body. You've been bought with a price. You're not your own. God the Father bought you, bought you, purchased you out of slavery to sin with the blood of His Son. That's huge. That is an indescribable gift. So, you don't own you. God owns you. God owns your mind. God owns your body. Your whole person has been restored to what God intended when He first created mankind, glorifying Him. That's your raison d'etre, your reason to be. And along with the Holy Spirit, you've been given a gift, gifts even. It's some manifestation of God's varied grace. Now, it's varied because it's not the same for everyone. It's not exactly the same for everyone. The Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 12, and we quoted this. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit, and there are varieties of service, but the same Lord, and there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good, for the common good. So, varieties of gifts, varieties of ways to serve, varieties of activities. So, that's going to be different for everyone because no two people are exactly alike, right? And so, the way the Holy Spirit works through you, that's going to be different as well. But what is the same is the Holy Spirit. And He's working through your gifts, your service, your activities. For what? Again, the common good. Common that's for the good of the church, as the Apostle Paul was writing, for the good of the church in Corinth, but for common is, is also in every single local expression of the church that Jesus is building, for the common good. And God wants your good. He, he is working for your good, and all that that good encompasses, which is your spiritual maturity, which is your sanctification. And God has determined to accomplish that good in our lives through you and me in the church serving one another. And I know that it's often the mindset that the way that God sanctifies me and builds me up is I open my Bible and I get in my closet and I read my Bible and I pray and God's going to make me. Well, I'm not saying that that has no effect, but these gifts, they are given so that we build one another up. And I think we can draw the conclusion if we're not with the church family, if we're not serving one another, we can rightly conclude that we're probably not going to grow in the way that God intends for us. We're not going to receive that good that God intends for us. So if God owns you, that means He owns everything about you. How We, if we think about this, how could we keep this to ourselves? What we have, how could we hoard it? It's been designed to build up one another in Christ. To hoard that is antithetical to the very nature of grace. That's why verse 10 in our text in in, in Peter, 1 Peter, it says, as good stewards, good stewards. You know that word steward? It's literally a house manager. It's someone who manages the affairs of another. A great example in the Old Testament is Joseph. Joseph was a steward. He was a steward in Potiphar's household. Now, it all kind of went awry when Potiphar's wife went after him, and and he escaped without being immoral, but Potiphar got the wrong idea from his lying wife. Either way, he had managed everything in the household. Joseph later became a steward In Egypt, he became second in command. He managed for Pharaoh. Steward is a manager of things that are not his or her own. So, as stewards, brothers and sisters in Christ, we manage, we use what God owns. We manage what God has entrusted to us, and we manage them for his purposes primarily and not our own. So, then, what aspects, what aspects of God's varied grace has He entrusted to us? Well, we can conclude this because it's, it's, we just have to evaluate life itself, right? What has He given to us? Well, we have time, we have abilities, and we have physical resources. So that's what we're to steward. Time, it's been said this way, alliterated, time, talent, treasure. Time, abilities, and resources. So, let's take these one by one. You are a steward of time. You are a steward of time. The very nature of time, given that it is fixed and fleeting, has caused many an artist to philosophize about it. Cher mused, if I could turn back time, a sentiment that was shared by Huey Lewis, who thinks you could go back in time. Green Day thinks it's unpredictable, but whatever. I hope you have the time of your life. Cindy Lauper, Is resigned, but hopeful in time after time. On the other hand, Sticks is worried, I've got too much time in my hands, and seemingly confused, Chicago wonders, does anyone really know what time it is? And squinting at the clock in the wee hours of the morning, maybe 25 or 6 to 4. You'll never keep up, Paul. Don't even try. So we have 24 hours a day, no more, no less. And once a day is gone, you can never get it back. The only thing that we can do, brothers and sisters of Christ, is determine and to be purposeful in going forward and how we use the time that we've been given. William Penn wrote this, Time is what we want most, but what we use worst. So true, right? Tolkien, you might recognize this. All we have to do is decide to do with the time that is given. All we have to do is decide what to do with the time that is given us. Again, so very true. And the Bible agrees. The Bible agrees. Warning against self indulgence and fleshly sinful pursuits. The Apostle Paul exhorts this in Ephesians 5 Look carefully then how you walk. That means to live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time because the days are evil. It's evil. Steward, make best use of the time be wise with the time that God gives because the days are evil don't allow yourself to get sucked into evil instead use time doing the things you must do doing the things you choose to do you have an eye to giving glory to God and you are a steward of time which is an expression of God's very grace to you for the common good which brings God glory Apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Time is the context within which we do. So doing all to the glory of God is stewarding our time. And that means working diligently. Writer of Ecclesiastes, the sage, says, whatever your hand finds to do, do with all your might. So you and I, indeed, should work dil- diligently for the pay we get. We should also work diligently in the way that we serve others in the time that we have. Now, I want to say this. Stewardship of time also includes resting purposefully. Now, the seventh-day Sabbath that the Israelites practiced in the Old Testament, in fact, commanded in the Ten Commandments, I believe that was fulfilled in Christ Himself who is our Sabbath rest. He is our eternal rest. That's what it pointed forward to. But the pattern, I would say this, the pattern set by the Lord in the creation of the world, the apostles took that pattern and they exemplified that Sabbath rest by setting apart the first day of the week, the Sunday, because it was the resurrection day of Jesus, and we call it the Lord's day. So stewardship of time is thinking about how we use time for the glory of God, resting purposefully to set aside the cares of the world and give some time to exclusively focus on the goodness of God and His provision. And and you here, brothers and sisters, are examples of exactly that. And whether your work is caring for your children in the home or at some kind of job that earns money to sustain your home, time is that limited context within which work happens to provide for our families, to serve others. And it's important to understand, when you steward time well, you will not only work for your families, you will not only supply your household, which is your responsibility, but you will first steward time the first day of the week by setting some of it aside for worship, fellowship, and ministry. So, we, we are stewards of time. Secondly, and this is mostly what people think about when we're talking about the gifts that God gives. You are a steward of your abilities for the common good. Peter writes, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. By the strength that God supplies. Understand, again, this is the spirit of working through you. You are a steward of God's varied grace in your abilities. Now, Peter here gives only two categories of gifts, speaking and serving. Speaking is that public teaching, like I'm doing now, like happened in the Sunday school classes. It's also private discipleship. It's reading the scripture uh, to one another. It's any ways that the word of God is proclaimed and applied in the church. And serving is everything else that supports the word ministry, whether that is ministering to the physical needs of others or helping to organize and maintain the space used to proclaim the word. There's so many aspects, practically speaking, where serving is involved. 1 Corinthians 12 lists some of the ways the Spirit worked through individuals in the Corinthian church for the common good. Now, if you look at that list, there's some uh, things that I would say we don't see happening today. And so I'm not going to read that, but you, you've probably encountered it, and I, I don't, don't want you to take that list as, as a prescriptive for the local church. There's certain sign gifts like tongues and healings and things like that, prophetic words. Those operated, I believe, during the apostolic age because the canon of Scripture that we have, the full of the New Testament, which is the apostolic record, Right? We didn't, they didn't have all of that. They were getting it real time when Paul's writing or preaching, Peter writing or preaching. They're hearing it real time. Now we have it written down for us. So those sign gifts, I call them, the healing, tongues, prophecy, miracles, they serve to authenticate that apostolic ministry. It's the same way that in Jesus' mission, his mission on the earth was not to heal and change the weather and turn water to wine. His mission was to bring the word, to declare the gospel in himself. And the miracles served to authenticate that the message was from God. So I don't believe that the the scripture gives us some definitive list of the ways that the Holy Spirit has and will work through believers. I don't believe there's a definitive list. It was different during the apostolic era for the reasons I've already stated, but whatever the gifts, whatever those gifts, they will always be in service of the word of God and its gospel. The gifts support either by declaring it or providing an environment for it to happen or facilitating it so an individual can hear it in their lives. Because the power, the singular power, is not the gifts themselves, but is the gospel. The gospel is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, not the gifts. Romans 12, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in his generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. It's not an exhaustive list, but he's just saying, here's some examples. So having gifts, it is assumed, it is assumed you have them. Now you might say where you're sitting, I don't know what my gifts are. But I would say, I actually think you do. God made you with inclinations. Some of those inclinations are creative. Others are organizational. Some are inclined to lead. Others like to serve behind the scenes. Some get really jazzed about studying the Bible and sharing those insights. Some deeply feel the pain of others and want to alleviate it. Others find it particularly easy to be generous. You see, you're drawn to do the things that you find rewarding. Some of those inclinations you were born with, some have been learned. But because God designed you the way you are, the Holy Spirit takes those abilities or latent abilities and will use them to build up others in the church. But you will serve in proportion to your faith. If you're mature in faith, your service will ordinarily have a greater impact on others. If you're new in the faith, it'll be more limited. But everyone in the body of Christ has something to contribute. Now Jesus did, of course, in ministry, Jesus did everything perfectly, right? Whether it's teaching, leading, serving, giving of himself, right? Now think of this the church metaphorically is the body of Christ and if the church is the body of Christ in the collective we can do what Jesus did listen to what Jesus said to his disciples truly truly i say to you whoever believes in me whoever That extends beyond those first disciples. Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. Now that's shocking. That promise makes absolutely no sense until you read on where Jesus promised the Holy Spirit saying this. You know him for he dwells with you, and will be in you. That's John 14, 17. Now, understand this. If the Spirit dwells in each child of God individually, you can imagine the collective effectiveness of the saints together, all of whom have a manifestation of the Spirit. The Apostle Paul goes on in 1 Corinthians 12, uh, 12, for the body does not consist of one member but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. You see, you can't declare yourself out of it. You you are here. You are a part of the body. And, and get this: God arranged the members in the body. God arranged each one of them as he chose. Notice that. God arranged. Each one as he chose. So if God chooses and arranges, then no one part of the body can say, I have no part to play. To say no is to not trust the word of God. To remain aloof, to not steward your time and abilities is to deny his design. And I wonder, can any one of us comfortably do that? And one more thing, because serving, that is stewarding the abilities that God has entrusted to you is for the common good, get this, because you are part of the common, part of the body of Christ, it is for your own good. When you serve, you're actually ministering to yourself because you're part of the common. It's for your own good. It's for your own joy. It's for your own growth that you do. Now in the next month or so, um, it's an elder initiative and there's some people working on this, but we're going to have actually a a skills inventory as as a way to kind of practically see the members of the church to say who has some ability. And so we want to try to be proactive in in helping one another serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Look forward uh, for that in the next month or so. So you're a steward of your abilities. Lastly, you are a steward of your resources. You're a steward of resources. David Gilmore saying, money, get away. You get a good job with more pay and you're okay. Money, it's a gas. Grab that cash with both hands and make a stash. New car, caviar, four-star, daydream. Think I'll buy me a football team, right? I know it's dad rock category, so it's my Spotify playlist, but whatever. But people think, like time, people think a lot about money, right? They say it does not buy happiness, but I'll tell you, if you don't have enough of it, you could be quite sad, right? And that's because it's also been said that money makes the world go round. What that means is we need it. Our economic system does not work without it. So we need to think rightly about money. We need to think rightly about money and resources. While money is not, money itself is not the root of all kinds of evil, the love of money absolutely is, 1 Timothy 6.10. And Jesus said you cannot serve both God and money because if you love money, you will despise God. Like time and our abilities. And the wealth that we accumulate from using money. These are aspects of God's grace to us which we are to use for the common good. The first part of financial wealth stewardship we find is in Proverbs 3.9. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Honor the Lord with your wealth and the first fruits. So, Of course, stewarding money means that we provide for our own needs and the needs of our families. You have to provide for your home, the the food you eat, the clothing, the transportation, education, medical needs. You have to do all that. Your long-term financial obligations, you must do that. Appropriate savings, yes. Storing up something even for when you're no longer capable of working. I don't think we need to make a case for doing those things. But let's talk about the first fruits. Which means in our use of money and stewarding money, it is the first priority in the use of our wealth. So, how do we honor the Lord in the first fruits? I'll take you to 2 Corinthians 9 and I'll unpack this for us as we think about financial stewardship. 2 Corinthians 9 7 and 11. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And verse 11, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Notice the verse each one must give. Must, because the Bible says it, so it's the right thing to do. Must, because it's an expression that you trust God for all that He provides. You trust God for the abilities that you have to get the job or the business you have to get the income that that provides. You trust God and must because in the same way you fund your own household, you should contribute to the spiritual household. So each one must give as he has decided. Decided. That means there's planning involved. Beforehand. You're thinking about this. As the verse in Proverbs says, it's first fruits, the first of the crop, the first of the income, the first of the dividend, before every other responsibility. First fruits. Must, as each one is decided. So it's planned, and you must do it according to the Bible. Now, here, not under compulsion, but cheerfully. And God loves that. You should not be compelled. You should not be forced by anyone to give. Now, where you're sitting right now, you might say to me, even me preaching this is probably compulsion, right? Now, I'm just simply telling you what the Bible says, but I cannot and I will not make you do it. I have no interest in that. And listen, if you're grumpy about giving, keep it. God doesn't want it. God doesn't want anything from you, whether that's money or service that you're not willing to offer up with joy. Listen, it, it's exemplified in obedience to the law, right? Is God really pleased if you don't steal something because his law says not to, but you're still filled with covetousness for that thing? Is God delighted with that? Well, he didn't take it, but his heart is churning. I really want that. Is God delighted with that? Don't serve God, don't give to God grumbling. Not under compulsion. Nobody can make you do it. It's between you and the Lord. The only thing that should compel you is the Holy Spirit. The only one that should should compel you is God's word and the conviction on your heart that you ought to do it. So take Jesus' warning. If you love money more than God, that's going to rot your heart. And when you do give, it's a way of releasing the grip of money on your heart that so many of us in this nation feel in the western part of the world because we're so consumed with our stuff. So not under compulsion but cheerfully. And furthermore, generously. What's generous? That is entirely subjective. Generosity is entirely subjective. The billionaire who gives away $50,000 is not really being generous. It's a lot of money, but it's not remotely sacrificial to the billionaire because that kind of giving has no discernible impact on that person's life, nothing at all. Remember, Jesus praised the widow who gave two coins because she gave out of her poverty. She gave all that she had, and you might look at that and say, that's really stupid. Now, that's not prescriptive, like take everything out of your bank account and give it to the church. And Jesus' word to the rich young man who had so much wealth, and he asked Jesus, what what should I do? Jesus saw in his heart and said, he saw the money had a grip on him. He said, look, sell all you have, give give it to the poor and come follow me. That was for that man. Now listen, if money has such a grip on your heart, and it's going to take you to hell, then sell it, all your stuff, and give it away. But that's not the prescription here. Generous. Generous is subjective. But, but I would say this, our giving should be sacrificial. Giving should affect our lives. It's deciding for the common good over, over all my personal wants. And, and so practically speaking, maybe... Your car is perfectly fine, but you really want that nice new ride. Well, maybe you delay that, or maybe you don't. you got a perfectly fine house, and it suits your needs, but, oh, wouldn't it be great to have that upgrade? Well, maybe you don't. Maybe you don't. Now, listen, no one outside judges that. That's an evaluation that you make before the Lord. And no one from the outside could say, well, you know, you live in this kind of house, you could probably live. No, that's a compulsion, And no believer has any uh, right to speak to another believer that way. Because again, we can't be compelled, right? The only thing that should compel you is the Holy Spirit. And for those who've never done this before, I want to encourage you to do something for your joy. Maybe you've never given at all. Try this sacrifice. Pass up Starbucks. Just once a week. Then try two. And I'm pretty sure of this. I, if you do that, you're not going to look back and go, oh man, I so miss that frappe latte macchiato thingy, whatever they sell. And maybe instead of eating out three times a week, maybe just once, or maybe once a month. I, I don't know. I, That's between you and the Lord. But the important part of stewardship is understanding the difference, really, between things we want and the things that we need. There's a lot of stuff that we want. We put in the category of need. Now, there's no sin. Don't get me wrong here. There's no sin in getting the things that we want. But the question that we've got to ask ourselves is, is what we want our first priority? Or is it giving? You got a raise or a bonus? Why? Well, the verse tells us that God has enriched you in every way to be generous. You Get that windfall? Ask the question. Huh. I wonder why God gave that to me. Maybe that's an opportunity to be generous. Now, in the Old Testament, the the Israelites were commanded to tithe tithe. You've seen that word, I'm sure. That's, just to be clear, that's a math word. It means the tenth. It's not the check you write is the tithe, whatever it is. It is actually a calculation based on a percentage, ten percent. The tenth. Now, I think, I think there's great wisdom in considering the tithe as a baseline for giving. I think it's probably a little bit of a stretch, though I took this as a New Testament command when I was a younger believer and I haven't been hurt by it to consider tithing as a baseline, but I'm not going to make that that strong statement. But the challenge, listen, the challenge that was issued to the Israelites regarding tithing, I think, applies to Christian discipline of giving generously. God said in Malachi, test me. See what will happen if you do this. Here's what it says in Malachi. Malachi. He he accuses the people of robbing him of the tithe. Again, that was a law, kind of like a temple tax. He accuses them of robbing God. And then he says this, bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house, and thereby, thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Disciples of Jesus We do give to God to get from God. We do give to God to get from God, but it's not like the word faith charlatans tell us. What we get when we give is the joy of knowing and seeing that God provides We get the confidence knowing that we are in his care, that he is the one who multiplies the reward of our labors. He is the one that extends the life of our our furnaces and cars and protects us. He is the one that supplies our needs. He multiplies the seed for sowing. He causes it to grow, and he gives the bumper crop. God gets the credit for all of that. So, disciples of Jesus... We steward resources. And if you have not, let me exhort you. Nobody's checking up on you, okay? This is just between you and the Lord. Go ahead and test God. Just maybe, just maybe try growing your standard of giving more than you grow your standard of living. Let me say that again. Maybe try growing your standard of giving more than you grow your standard of living and steward the resources that God has entrusted to you for the common good. Let me wrap this up. As a growing disciple of Jesus, know this. You've received the greatest gift of all. That's the sacrifice of the Son of God for your sins. That's an immeasurable grace. Nothing compares. And we don't buy that. We don't buy that with our time. We don't buy that with our abilities. We don't buy that with the resources God has entrusted to us. But you have already received grace upon grace. So don't hoard it. Hold it with open hands, let it flow through your fingers. God's very grace of time, abilities, resources, they are for the common good of helping one another to grow and to remain faithful until we enjoy the promised eternal inheritance when Jesus returns in glory. Disciples of Jesus. It's a mark of discipleship to serve in the church with your time, abilities, and resources. And may, be, may God be glorified in each of us as we think through and apply this. Let's pray. Father, thank you for all that you've given to us. And again, Father, we know that we don't buy anything from you. You've given it all graciously. And it is our joy, Father, to participate in your work, to be, to be conduits of your Spirit's work for one another, for the common good. God, strengthen us in that. And as we think about what it means to be disciples, help us not only to practice that ourselves, but to to encourage others to do the same, knowing that we receive from you far more than we could ever give. May Christ be glorified among us in this. We pray in his name. Amen.